You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Greg Cupney, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And thanks for pressing play on this episode of Two and Out with Travis Kura and uh, Sheldon Jones. A bit of a different start. To the show today is about uh, 90 minutes before recording. We have found that a giant, a legend, a goat, George Reed, number 34 of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, has passed away, 83 years old, the day before his 84th birthday. And uh, those words coming out of my mouth suck to hear, man. Um, yep. <laughs> what 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 can you say about George? Now, if you just look at what happened on the field, which is remarkable, the fact that he was a fullback, and I guess it just shows how much the game has changed, but over 16,000 uh-huh. rushing yards, 134 career rushing touchdowns, a rack record that still stands today nearly 50 years after George has retired. His number is retired by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, a 10-time West All-Star, 11 seasons with more than 1,000 rushing yards. He played 13 years. In his rookie year, he didn't have 1,000 yards. And there was another year where he played several games with a broken leg. He didn't have 1,000 yards there either. He rushed for 1,768 yards in 1965. He was a part of uh, Saskatchewan's first ever Grey Cup winning team in 1966. And in that game, he rushed for 133 yards and a touchdown. He uh, was awarded with the Order of Canada in 1978. He was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 1979. The Canada Sports Hall of Fame in 1984. And his contributions off the field are still living today. Really, Mm -hmm. the George Reed Foundation, and he spent nearly 50 years volunteering and giving back to the community, uh, giving back in the areas of education, continuous learning, healthy living, as well as individuals with disabilities. The George Reed Foundation and the Riders Foundation recently created the George Reed Legacy Fund, and the fund will ensure continued support for the causes that mean most to Reed for years to come like Special Olympics Saskatchewan and Mother Teresa Middle School. In lieu of flowers, members of Rider Nation and anyone inspired by George Reed and his legacy are able to make a donation in his memory to the George Reed Legacy Fund by visiting Riderville.com. A titan of the league, a superhero in CFL history, Tough news, Sheldon, and I know this is pretty cool. New Mosaic, he, uh, I guess, often sat close to you uh, during his visits to the stadium when it first opened. Yeah, for the first few years there, he... uh... We were right up in the north end zone in the corner, right where the uh, alumni and everything go, and Craig Reynolds and all those bigwigs are up there. And right in front, there's there's always a nice comfy chair there just for George. And some games he'd be there, some games he wouldn't be. But he was when he was there, he was getting nothing but people coming over to shake his <laughs> hand and get autographs. And people were very respectful, though. But he, uh, he you could just tell he he loved Rider Nation. He loved still going to the Rider games and. Like you said, he was his contributions for Regina off the field are just incredible. Uh, I was watching a, a video right before we started recording here from Rob Vanstone back in the day, and he was talking about how near the end of his career he got an offer from uh, the Denver Broncos to go down there, and uh, he actually declined it because he was fine here. He had a good job with Molson's, and he was already doing stuff in the community, and he didn't want to leave. So that just kind of shows what the guy was and how much he loved Rider Nation. It was always Mr. Reed. <laughs> yeah. Always Mr. Reed. Yeah. That's uh 
that's the respect he has earned uh, from everyone in Saskatchewan and I think uh, across Canada. I got to shake his hand uh, last November at the Legends Legend Luncheon at the Grey Cup. I mean, there's there's fans in that room, but there are other CFL legends in that room. And when George gets pointed out, it's a special moment. Everyone's mm. on their feet. It's always a standing ovation. And most recently, he was at the Labor Day Classic in Regina. And it's always a special moment when they show George at the game. It's kind of funny. He's used to it. He yeah. no-sells yeah. it. He, yeah, no-sells <laughs> it whatsoever, yeah. But the place... Uh, the place goes crazy, and uh, yeah. he'll he'll be missed, and our, our hearts are heavy, and our condolences uh, to his family. Rest in peace to the great George Reed. I don't the know goat. how we can uh, go on to talk uh, about Week 17, but l- let's try to do it here. It did start with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beating the Toronto Argonauts 31-21, but Sheldon at halftime, it was 17-13 Toronto in a game in which the Argos rested many of their number ones, but on display was clearly Toronto's depth and their desire. Uh, The most surprising part here, I think, and the Bombers coming off the bye, they really got bullied in the trenches on the line, Toronto, <laughs> they're going to be really tough to beat this yeah. this year. And look, anything can happen in the CFL, anything, I, I know that. But the way that they really handled Winnipeg here, and yes, I know they lost by 10. We'll, we'll get to that. But they, they look like a scary force. Uh, when they're just resting guys now, and they almost beat the Bombers, they do. And I, I don't know if it was it, uh, it had to do with Winnipeg taking them lightly because they were sitting players. Like I honestly don't really see a Mike O'Shea team getting away with doing that. But either that or just Toronto's backups are way better than, or not way better, but better than some of their starters because uh, Toronto took an early lead in that game. They the the backup was looking great. Uh, Cameron Dukes with that hair, that flow, he yeah. looked great, and he he was he's running around, and uh, it just if if I'm a Bomber fan after that game, I'm I'm not happy with what I saw, and I'm actually quite concerned to be honest. Cameron Dukes, seventeen to twenty four, two hundred thirty one yards and a touchdown. He also added thirty four rushing yards. I mean, well, and a rushing touchdown. So. Mm-hmm. For his first start in the CFL against the team fighting for first in their division, man, the, the, the situation that the Argos have at quarterback is is extremely good. And to get those valuable reps in for the backup, if anything does happen down the stretch, I, I feel like Toronto is well set up here. Uh, the Bombers did start well. Um, they even went for a reverse right off the bat on the first return. And, you know, we're thinking, ah, we're going to see vanilla stuff here. Uh, but Winnipeg sure uh, wanted to pull out all the stops here. And yeah. Olivera was running wild. 25 carries, 169 yards. Nice. 6.8 yards a carry in this game. He he had the receiving touchdown, but what an absolute monster. So I guess if you want to look at the positives, Winnipeg is still able to play physical. They're still able to run the ball, but it did look like Zach didn't have the time. Maybe he was used to having when uh, dropping back to pass. Uh, but what surprised, I think everybody, was the way Toronto a- answered back. And uh, they tied it up. Then they took the lead. Like A.J. Olette, <laughs> they even rested him. He had one carry for 26 yards, one catch for 28 yards and a touchdown, and then they basically sat sat him down. But they're going to have a fresh Olette as they get ready for uh, the playoffs here. And their special teams, too. That's an area where Winnipeg has not been as strong as we've seen. And... Janarian Grant remains injured. Uh-huh. He's been poking around practice, but Javon Leak here has himself a big return to help 
the Argos in the touchdown drive that ended up putting them ahead. I was just so surprised by everything we saw in this one. But there was a drive that we saw late in the game, and it's when uh, Winnipeg started, I guess, pulling away a little bit here. They had a massive touchdown drive, and they, they started – just running the ball and beating the Argos down. Uh, but the Argos kind of helped out with that. They, they took Dukes out of the game, which <laughs> it's kind of frustrating. Like, I realized they wanted to get Brian Scott the reps. He goes 0 for 4. They, <laughs> nothing went on for Brian Scott. But at the same time, respect to the Argos for sticking with the plan. I... I feel like it would be tough to stick with the plan if you saw an opportunity to win. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe in the preseason it's easier to stick with that plan, but in the regular season, I feel like it'd be tempting to keep doing what you're doing and get a win here. Well, yeah, I think that would have been like quite the statement to the rest of the league if they would have kept rolling with Cameron Dukes, who oh, was yeah. playing really good. And I think if he would have stayed in, they had a real shot of winning that game because, you know, the other guy comes in and he goes three and out or two and out twice in a row or three times, three series in a row. And I guarantee you that doesn't, doesn't happen with Dukes in there. So it's, it's frustrating for us fans, I think, because yeah. we, outside of Winnipeg fans, I think everyone in the league wanted to see Toronto steamroll them just because of, you know, the crap that, people were talking about the smart decision to rest Kelly and the other players. And so it would have been quite funny if Toronto would have done it, but but like still again, Toronto looked good in defeat and Winnipeg looked poor in winning. It's, it's the drive here that uh, put Winnipeg in the lead. They were trailing 21, 19. And then there was about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter but what the Bombers did, 12 plays, 79-yard touchdown drive in a drive that took six and a half minutes off the clock. Brady Oliveira, should I attempt to do some live math on the show? I don't know if that's smart. <laughs> but <laughs> he had a five-yard gain. He had a nine-yard gain. So there you go, 14, another five, 19, another seven, 26, another eight, uh, 34. He had 34 yards alone on that drive, just dominating Toronto there. So they were able to, as the game went on, punish them with the running game a little bit and put the game away that way. But yeah. it did seem at times like they wanted to beat the Argos through the air. And Toronto has given up passing touchdowns this year, but they were blanketing Kenny the King. And I think yeah. Zach and the Bomber offense were getting quite frustrated with it. Oh, for sure. And Zach was obviously getting quite frustrated with getting hit so many times too, because Toronto's defense, they had pressured him all game long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He got he's not used to that. a few times. I was starting <laughs> yeah. to think like... Maybe they yeah, should he, take him out. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, he was he was taking a beating, much like we'll talk about later in the Toronto and or in the BC Saskatchewan game because Vernon Adams was taking a beating the whole game too. But uh, Zach, he it's weird. Usually when he gets pissed off, he he makes other teams pay. But this time he was he was pissed off and he was still missing throws and like it wasn't himself. He's I think the the honeymoon period in Winnipeg is over when you know he was used to not getting hit so often and rushed or hurried. Uh, he's this this year has been eye opening, I think, for him because he's been getting hit. Twenty two of thirty three, two hundred fifteen yard, two hundred fifty eight yards. Sorry, a touchdown and an interception. Winnipeg's leading receiver was Dalton Schoen, six catches on nine targets. You left me oh, hanging nice. there, bro. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You were you were freezing up a little bit, but yeah, nice. Nice. 101 yards for Dalton Schoen. 
Uh, Toronto had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight receivers with a catch. They were just getting everybody uh, uh, involved uh. in the game. Everybody's getting the reps. Um, yeah. But we'll say that uh, Deontay McMahon did not have much success running the ball. Five <laughs> carries for eight yards, a long of six. So uh, if I do the math, that's uh, four other carries for two yards. <laughs> Half a yard average. Yeah. That's not uh, <laughs> ideal. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and he looked really good the week prior, so it's uh, it's kind of yeah. interesting that he had an off week here. Uh, props, props to Winnipeg for showing a video for Andrew Harris too. Uh, pre-game, he he wasn't able to play. Hey, I'll show respect to number thirty-three. That you and Brazilian Ty can disrespect him all you I, want. <laughs> let's just, let's just say at least Bomber fans have a running back that they can support because he's a nice <laughs> human being and he. Doesn't take too many supplements. <laughs> oh, the leading tackler for uh, um, the uh, Toronto Argonauts was uh, Jonathan Jones. He was Good all name. over Zach. Mm-hmm. And Zach was getting mad. Winton McManus had uh, the game off in this one, but Jones was, he was making things happen in uh, the bomber backfield. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Zach was pretty angry about it. It's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> that does it. The, the Bombers, they, they get a win, but it's not like it was it, it was pretty. Um, look at the time of possession. I don't know. These Argos, they, they had it for 20. They had the ball for 20 minutes. <laughs> so yeah. They, Winnipeg controlled the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they made short, quick work, and they, uh, like, like I say, if they, if they would have left Dukes in there, it would have been a completely different game, in my opinion. Yeah, Toronto, they they were working with a short field all game. If mm-hmm. I look at the their drive chart, Winnipeg, yeah, they were a little bit longer, so that's something that they're going to want to figure out, and hopefully, it will help if they get Janarian Grant back into the fold. The second half of the Friday night doubleheader had the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders falling uh, to the BC Lions 33 to 6. Now, 15 of the Riders' 26 points came in the fourth quarter, and they came right at the end of the game. And I posted something on X, and I said the Riders are the kings of garbage time, and some fans took that as a insult, but it's not an insult. Like the 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 seven point loss here makes it look a lot better than it was. The eight point loss against Ottawa makes it look a lot better than it was. And you could say no lead is safe. Anybody can come back at any time in the CFL. But Sheldon, it wasn't going to happen here. The, those and yes, reps are important. I get it. But <laughs> this. Was a lot more than just a seven point loss. The Lions worked the riders here. Yeah, they, they are the garbage pail kids of the CFL. They they can't score in the first fifty six minutes. Like, what's going on here? Uh, it's as a fan for the riders, it's it's frustrating because when you're in the last five minutes of the of the game, the teams are going to give a cushion, and of course, you're going to be able to move the ball and. Odds are if you're if you get on a roll of momentum, you're gonna score a touchdown. And the one thing that's been really good about the Riders the past couple of years is they've been like shockingly uh a- accurate or converting the the onside kick attempts. Yeah, like, like yeah, I'd look at if you look at the league average versus the riders, yeah, the riders have to be above oh. league, league average at that. It's probably close to like seven hundred seventy-five percent that they're actually converting. It's, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it is. And so, but that and that's that's great and all. But what? Why can't you do that earlier in the game? Why can't you stay in the games? Why do you break down in the second and third quarter and then just like it's just it's frustrating, man. I think to me, it's really the Lions taking the foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. 
That's what it looks like to me. If if you want to look at the positive here, they, they were able to limit BC's rushing attack. Uh, take on Mizell, only he had 10 carries, but it only had 38 yards here. So uh, the Riders had been dominated <laughs> in the rushing game over basically the month of September. But yeah. uh, the, the Lions couldn't really take advantage of that. And, and I was actually pretty surprised by their game plan. They just went pass, pass, pass. And it worked because VA, 27 of 36, 458 yards, three touchdowns. VA crosses the 4,000 uh, yard mark for the first time in his career. But he was hit. He was tackled, what, six times? He got sacked four times? So you combine, he tackled twice, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, for a loss. And then the other four were sacks here. And he, he was hurt. And if you remember the last time he played the Riders in Regina, he was hurting too. Mm-hmm. So, well, and they hurt him. Was it the beginning of the year? I don't know. It, it seems like the Rider D-line plays better against the lions (laughs) yeah like like i guess fair points to the to jason shivers for having his team better equipped against the run in this game because like you said they did limit that but i moncrief is not a defensive back and the fact that they didn't change that and have him not covering Hatcher and Katoy, like he was getting beat all day. That that was his worst game as a rider. Uh, and you feel bad for him because he's a great player and great for the community, all that. But that was not the spot for him. And they need to move him back to where he was previously. Like, like I know I he think, did some covering. Uh, I think Moncrief's an incredible athlete, but yeah. and he can cover, and I think he's more likely – to have success covering a running back more mm-hmm. than Keona Hatcher, who is a, a stud receiver. Yeah. And uh, I think maybe that is the real uh, plus in the Lions getting Dominic Rhymes back. That Yes. <laughs> who do you cover? That's it. And yeah. Hatcher is not a number three guy in most offenses in the CFL. And I, I guess he's number one B one C or whatever it is in BC. And they exploited that matchup because Keon Hatcher, what a game he had. And the bulk of this was actually in the first half. Yeah. 10 catches, 13 targets, 172 yards and a touchdown. He torched the riders. It was great having him fantasy this week. (laughs) Hey, good for you, man. Yeah. (laughs) I had a good fantasy week from from BC players in that game. And this game could have been a lot worse. The the yeah. Lions, they settled for a lot of field goals. Yeah. Uh, they actually settled for uh, a lot of threes. Like, through the first quarter, it was only 9-1. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talk about the Riders being able to limit the Lions rushing attack. The Riders didn't have success running the ball themselves. Frankie Hickson had uh, 2.2 yards a carry, 10 carries for 22 yards. Um, He had two catches for 33. So if if you're able to get him into space, that's great. But there wasn't much space to be had against these BC Lions. Um, But it's not like Jamal Morrow had success against this same team earlier this year either. It just seems like the Riders can't run against BC, and not many teams can really. No. Yeah, no, BC's a team that shuts that down, and uh, they did a great job of it. Two weeks, two straight weird turnovers because of Tevin Jones here. Yeah. (laughs) That interception, that one was not on Jake. No, and like, but it's just so weird that it went around his shoulder. And yeah, like, it was very bizarre. Yeah, I you feel bad for him because the one last week, you know, he just didn't quite have it secured. But like, that's he's getting the fumbleitis, which is not good. Not a good time of the year to have that. So hopefully, he can lock that up going forward. Yeah, last week he had a catch against Ottawa. The defender puts the helmet on the ball. The ball flies in the air. This week he. Goes for the catch, and I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know how. Like it was, it looked just, it looked like a Madden glitch. Yeah, it did. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, yeah. The uh, the Riders they were in this game late in the first half. Um, they had big plays from Frankie Hickson, Sean Bain Jr., Samuel Emelis, and the, they went nine six nine seven. Sorry. Why didn't they go for two to attempt the tie of the game? Because their head coach is Craig Dickinson. I I honestly don't know. Like anyone in that situation would go for two to tie the game. What's the point in going for one there? It's it's baffling that he didn't go for two. Mm-hmm. It ended up being a twelve eleven with a minute go minute to go in the half, and those touchdowns at the end of a half they smash a team yeah they the the lions drove down the field and they put up a touchdown uh with keon hatcher with 12 seconds to go in the first half when you go into the break with that happening i think it's demoralizing for sure and so last week it was demoralizing on the offense because they you know threw the pick and the fumble and this week it's demoralizing on the defense because they let that giant drive go in and, and it's just, yeah, it's heartbreaking because like you, you just want to get into that half and get your rest and then try to make some adjustments for coaches that actually do that. Mm-hmm. But when you, when momentum, and especially if you're on the road, if you're at home, you can quell momentum, I think a little bit easier, but if you're on the road and you lose all that momentum and the home team has it, it's, it's, it's just like a kiss of death. And then uh, the second half opened with uh, BC Lions getting a, I don't know, there was a bust in coverage. Alexander Hollins was wide open for a touchdown. He ends up getting another touchdown. The Lions were up 33-12 to with 4.44 to go after Jake Dolagala ended up throwing an interception in the end zone. So like I said, they're, they're up three touchdowns with four minutes to go. And then the Riders put a couple touchdowns on the board. Yay. It's but we're he, all happy. It looks respectable. Yeah. But Dolagala threw two picks into the end zone. Like that's, oh, so that's, yeah. that's, that's 14 points potentially if it goes the other way around. Yeah. Right. So, so maybe the Riders weren't as terrible in this game as they were the, the few weeks previous. Uh, I guess maybe we can say there was some improvement there because you're close enough. If if you're close enough and you throw a pick into the end zone, it sucks. But those are you, devastating you, momentum swings. Yeah, for sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but but you you're driving. You're at least driving there, right? It's not yeah. like you're punting and giving up a huge return. So. I don't know. It's just, you know, four losses in a row for this team, and it's just looking exactly like last year. And it is. It's gotta... just helping them that Calgary and Edmonton, well, Edmonton started worse, and Calgary's yeah. consistently been pretty bad. Yeah. Like, there's there's no reason this team should be in a, in a position to clinch the playoffs <laughs> with don't look like one more playoff. win or a Calgary loss. Like, like this is like when – like in the NFL, in like the NFC South or whatever, when the six-win team is getting into the playoffs, yeah. like it's just, and, and and we know that they're going to go on a roll. And you Craig think Dickinson, so? I, no, I don't think so. But it's my it's my nightmare that they go on a roll <laughs> and Craig Dickinson gets resigned. And what's the status of Trevor Harris? Do you know? Like, if he plays, would it be the last week of the season, or would it be a playoff well, game with I, no regular season reps? I don't know. I I honestly haven't heard anything in the, around here in the past couple of weeks. The last I heard is he was it was already weight bearing and he was working yeah. out. But yeah. that's so if if that's the case and he's just building up his strength again, then maybe he's still a couple weeks away. I I don't know. Um, if you. I don't think you you play him on the road in Calgary. So if he does play maybe that last game in the season at home against Toronto, maybe, but but that's just a pie in the sky dream for Trevor Harris to come back from a broken leg I think and so. like yeah. it's it'd be great great morale for the team maybe, but that would I would be <laughs> I would be so happy yet so at so mad if that happened. Keen Shaver Baker is getting more and more involved in the Ryder yep. offense. Nine catches on 12 targets, 104 yards. 
Uh, he had some really nice plays in this one. If you want to talk bright spots, Jake DeLaGala yeah. did have 409 yards. They were able to run, move the ball. Look, maybe half of those came in the last four minutes somehow. <laughs> yeah, Jake Mayer has a lot of yards too. <laughs> uh, Jarrah Stearns, his first career 100-yard game, seven catches, 102 yards. Dominique Rimes back for the Lions, 92 yards receiving on five catches. Alexander Hollins had 83 yards, two touchdowns also for the Lions. And then uh, if you look at defense, we got Ben Halatic with a sack here and Matthew Betts with another sack uh, and another moment where he stares creepily into the... <laughs> Into the camera. <laughs> yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. And another bright spot for the Riders, too, is the, the fullback. Uh, I don't want to butcher his name. Uh, man. Just go I, for it. I can't remember how to say his name, to be honest with you. <laughs> Brutal. Anywho, the fullback, he's, you know, two touchdowns, so he had a good game. Yeah, two touchdowns for yeah. uh oh, Houdon. Uh yeah. Thomas Bertrand Houdon. Bertrand Houdon. There you go. I think I got it. Well, at least I just went for it anyway. Uh. <laughs> just cut that out. <laughs> it's worth a try. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Betts now has fifteen sacks mm-hmm. on the season. I think what's crazy here. Sean Lemon, oh, well, he, he's got seven sacks in ten games, but he also has two interceptions, a fumble recovery, a touchdown. The, the Lemonator's been making it happen. Uh, but Betts, four sacks ahead. Do you know who's in second place? This one really surprised me. It's I actually not. Ottawa Red Black. Mm. Bryce Carter. Yeah, well, that makes sense though. Their their defense has actually been pretty pretty solid, I would say. Like for pressuring the quarterbacks, anyway. All the props to Bryce Carter: eleven sacks, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery mm-hmm. uh, for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Yeah, well, I think Betts has just been listening to the pod and heard us talking about how it might be Willie Jefferson running away with uh, the West. Uh, outstanding defensive players, so maybe that's why he turned it on here because he's seems like he's back. Yeah, definitely yeah. back in in that leading contention probably for that award. Yeah, he's going to want to give uh, Oliveira a run for his money for the Canadian too. That's going to be an right. interesting, yeah. uh, interesting yeah. decision here at the end of the year. Yeah, in BC, I don't think there's another Canadian that would probably have as much you know of a chance against him, like in Winnipeg, where Dembski does have that chance right. to maybe overtake Oliveira there, but. Yeah, Betts is going to – he might get some hardware this year. The Montreal Alouettes have clinched a playoff spot after a 32-15 win over the Ottawa Red Blacks. Montreal got started fast, and uh, William Stanback was involved quickly in this one. It was 7-0 right off the bat here for the Alouettes. They came to play, and the Horn guy showed up in Ottawa. When that guy's starting to show up in visiting stadiums, we're all in trouble, brother. Yes, uh, <laughs> I, I I used to be very against it, and then I was there for the chaos. So I'm kind of indifferent, but I'm just glad he hasn't been at Mosaic yet. <laughs> I'll say that. Hey, if that guy, he'd get kicked out of Mosaic. I have seen visiting <laughs> fans get kicked out of Mosaic for less. Yeah, I love true. the Riders. I am a Rider fan, but come on. We're going to allow our own fans be idiots and pill country and that kind of stuff. I think we can allow the visitors to have themselves some fun. I guarantee Horn Guy is getting booted out of Mosaic, and I don't like it. (laughs) You're probably right. You're probably right. (laughs) William Stanback did have 13 carries, 85 yards, and a touchdown in uh, this one. So he's getting more and more involved in the Owls' offense. As it uh, as it comes back now, the Ottawa Redblacks looked like they were going to answer back. They have a big play to Braylon Addison, a big run from Dustin Crum, Devontae Williams breaks one, and then Stubblefield with the 
interception in the end zone. Dustin Crum gets rocked. And watching this game, it was amazing what the Alouettes were doing on defense. Reggie Stubblefield and Tyrese Beverett were in the backfield more than any other defensive lineman. (laughs) What is happening in this game? Reggie Stubblefield had seven tackles on defense, one on special teams, one tackle was for a loss. He had two quarterback sacks, and he had an interception. The guy was all over the field for the Owls. Yeah, he had himself a game. That that defensive player of the game for sure there. And then you look at Tyrese Beverett. These guys are linebackers. They're DBs. He had six tackles, three on special teams, and he also added two sacks himself. Uh So, (laughs) oh, and the other sack that the Alouettes had came from Darnell Sankey. So the blitzing that they were throwing at Dustin Grum was giving the Ottawa offense a lot of troubles. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, everyone but the Riders had figured Crum out. <laughs> so it seems... And the Bombers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Uh, it just, it, it's actually more depressing seeing how the Riders played against Ottawa after seeing how Montreal just kind of steamrolled them here. So it's a uh, crash back to reality for Ottawa fans and just another, you know, shot in the gut to Rider fans. And this is when the game really gets crazy. So Reggie Stubblefield with the interception, and it's second and 16. (laughs) I love the CFL. Bless the CFL, the absolute best thing. Jeshrin Antwi gets the ball, and we've seen this in a game earlier this year. BC tried it. Antwi tried it before, too, but he missed the kick, if I remember Maybe that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Uh, well, this time he succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was second and 18. Ajesh Renantri gets the ball. He has an open field kick. If he goes off his foot, it goes one yard. He recovers it. Fresh set of downs for the Alouettes. Love let's that go. rule. What do let's you go. Oh, it's <laughs> let's go. That's amazing. If you're if that's a rule and it's cool, exploit it. Like it's 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 definitely part of the traditional rugby part of the rules and I'm here for it. Uh, it's just, but how much can go wrong? Like <laughs> you could, yeah. Like it's, it's risk reward. If it you is. see nobody around you, then yeah, you can go. But if you, if you just, if it hits the wrong way and it goes out of bounds, well, that's the other team's ball. And, or if another team picks it up, like it's, but there would be no yards there. So they got to give you five yards, don't they? So that's also interesting. That's true. But I'm here for it. I'm yeah. here for it. I'd love to see this more. And now, you know, teams are going to be watching number 20 yep. uh, anytime he gets that ball. So <laughs> Montreal ends up punting on that drive. It was a normal punt, I should say. And then Ottawa's got an opportunity. Uh, <laughs> but Crum keeps getting beat up. Montreal gets the ball back. David Cote misses a field goal. Brandon Dandridge, a nice return. He's at midfield. He's at the 50. Oops. Joseph Zima, I don't know. He, like, rolls forward and kicks the ball out of Dandridge's hands. It is bizarre. One of the wildest forced fumbles I've ever seen. Montreal recovers, and uh, they're right back into it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, everything that was going Montreal's way there, it wasn't like Ottawa. Just they tried, and it wasn't working out for them. Well, and Montreal still couldn't capitalize on yeah. that one. So, I mean, Ottawa's staying in the game for a while. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse, oh. that's for sure. <laughs> uh, Brandon Dandridge was sticking around with the big returns there. Um, Cote was struggling a little bit in this one for the Alouettes. Uh, he's usually pretty solid, but he, he missed a couple kicks here. And uh, they, Ottawa, I should say, wasn't able to capitalize. I, I guess I should say David Cote missed three kicks in uh, this game. So 
those could have been valuable points. But like the Montreal defense and Noel Thorpe, they figured out a way to bother Dustin Crum. All those blitzes were keeping the game well in hand for the Montreal Alouettes. <laughs> it's 15 nothing Alouettes at halftime. They come back after the half. Justin Hardy makes a catch and rocks the cameraman. Can we yeah. get that guy an end-of-season <laughs> award? A couple weeks ago, I, I don't know. I don't want to be a cameraman on the sideline in the CFL anymore. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, a guy takes a ball in the jewels. This oh, week, a guy gets ball in the groin. <laughs> And he yeah. gets up, and he looks no worse for the wear, but uh, props to, I think it's Corey, the cameraman for TSN. Yeah, he shook it off pretty good, actually. Uh, I'm sure it hurt the next day, though, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, a guy in full speed and full football equipment. and Yeah, I, I love yeah. the camera view, too. Of mm-hmm. as he's going down. <laughs> yeah, you love that they always give you that. Once they find out the guy's okay, all right, roll that feed. That's gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I bet you his uh, colleagues were buying him a few pints that night yeah. in Ottawa. And I think this is probably the defining moment in the game. When you're down two scores in the third quarter, there's a good chance that you can come back in the CFL. But 2.45 to go. Montreal 11-yard line, it's third and two, and uh, Ottawa has been (laughs) making key decisions all year in this situation. Well, Marc-Antoine Ducroix picks off Dustin Crum, takes it all the way to the house. It is 22-0 Alouettes at that point, and I know we had been wondering who is going to be the most outstanding Canadian nominee for the East? And I'm starting to wonder if Marc-Antoine Ducroix is going to be that guy. He's certainly making a case for it. Yeah. Yeah. He has been uh, all over the field. It helps when you got a flow like that. Oh, yeah. It adds, <laughs> it adds you know, 10, 10, 15 kilometers an hour for the speed there. There's nothing more demoralizing than throwing a pick six than uh, like a 90 yard pick six. That's just, that hurts because you can do nothing but turn around and just watch for the next 10 seconds. Crum almost got him. Like he, he was striding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good when you see that because the quarterback actually gives it. Sometimes you see the quarterbacks and they throw it and they just pout, but yeah, good, good for him for trying to get it, get him down. But that flow. So far this season, uh, Marc-Antoine Ducroix, 54 tackles, five interceptions, two touchdowns, two forced fumbles. He's having a great, great season. I mean, he's there's a couple good Canadian safeties in the East. Stavros, Katzentonis, and Marc-Antoine Ducroix. I'd take those guys on my team any day, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those stats are phenomenal, actually. I didn't realize he had that many interceptions. That's wow. So he might be uh, that nominee that's uh, making a good case yeah. in the East. Uh, Deontay Ruffin, uh, he took a P.I. in the end zone on Shaq Evans. So uh, that helps Ottawa get on the board in the fourth quarter with the touchdown. And uh, Chandler Worthy, shortly before the game, was added to the six-game injured list. And we're, and he's been a steady returner. He's always putting the Owls in good field position. Well, James Letcher Jr. makes his uh, debut returning kicks. He had a 17-and-a-half-yard average on punts, and he had two kickoff returns for 69 yards. Nice. Including a 50-yarder. So he was able to put the Owls into pretty good uh, field position. That is a good... Uh, good debut for him, and uh, he'll probably be valuable down the stretch for the Alouettes. <laughs> and then another crazy sequence comes in this game because Ottawa's throwing the ball from their own end zone. Dustin Crum hits the uprights. Sean Lemon catches it off the uprights. I say get rid of the dead ball foul or dead ball yeah. in the uh, CFL off the uprights. Let's let chaos reign. Yeah, I said that last week uh, after uh, 
after it happened to you. And then there's the double doink. That was the, that was in the, the Winnipeg <laughs> game, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Sergio. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm here for the chaos too. Anything. <laughs> I'm here for any sort of chaos. Let's go. <laughs> and then uh, Sean Lemon got his touchdown anyway, when they ended yeah. up, uh, forcing a uh, fumble. Lemon took it to the house, so the Lemonator didn't get a sack in this one. He's still looking for number 100, and he was trying, man. They should have strapped an oxygen tank on him, because he's like, <laughs> I want this sack, man. <laughs> yeah, you can tell he wants it. Yeah, and he couldn't quite get it. Uh, the Owls led 32-7 with seven and a half minutes left, and and then Darnell Sankey takes a roughing the passer, Devontae Williams gets a touchdown. It's 32-15. The Owls are in the playoffs. But, yeah, crashing down the earth for the Ottawa Red Blacks. And uh, now the Owls, the next goal, as these two teams do play again, is to try to clinch that home playoff game at uh, Percival Molson. And uh, Hamilton putting the pressure on a little bit because they did get a win, 22-15 over the Calgary Stampeders. But, Sheldon, I do want to mention it was announced at halftime during this game, the Grey Cup halftime show is going to be punk rock, pop punk rock legends, whatever you want to call them, Green Day as the halftime show at the 110th Grey Cup in the Hammer. I think that's a pretty good get for the league. It's an amazing get, and... The rea- the reaction on Twitter or X or whatever has actually been like very positive. I haven't I'm seen w- I haven't seen like one person say, "Oh, Green Day, what the hell?" Like, okay, I'm not a Green Day fan, but I know who they are, and I realize yeah. that it is it, it's huge, a pretty good uh, act to have at halftime. And I think people my age and our demographic are more into Green Day. That's always, I think, the Mm -hmm. demo that they're maybe trying to attract to the CFL. And maybe it's our demographic that's still on X and Facebook and all that crap. So maybe that's why it looks pretty positive. But when there's an overall positive uh, feeling surrounding a Grey Cup halftime show. I think that's another win for the league. I was expecting everybody to be mad. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. And like, I am like Green Day is one of my like bands from back in the day. So like, I was into all that pop punk and emo stuff back then. And and it's actually getting quite a resurgence the past few years. Like, it's, there's it's, been the when I think we're old because it's almost like uh, nostalgia a little yeah. bit with that stuff. <laughs> Well, it's like it's like in you know the Bowling for Soup song nineteen eighty five. They're talking about like back then when that was first released. That you know Nirvana is becoming classic rock. Well, you know like Blink One Eighty Two is they're about twenty some years old. They could go in the Hall of Fame now already. And it's like and they just released a new song that is making all of us you know millennials crying because of how sad it is. And uh, but again, so this is getting a resurgence, and so Green Day right now is a huge get, and they're getting Carrie Underwood for the concert the the night before or Friday night or whatever. Like Hamilton is Hamilton's putting out all the stops, and it's awesome because the fans there deserve it. Uh, they got the pretty bare bones Grey Cup a couple years ago. Uh, I am kind of kind of pissed off that you know we get half a Florida Georgia line and a couple other bums, and now Hamilton gets Green Green Day. I, I'll admit that, but. I'm super happy for the league and uh, finally something that most of the CFL family and all the fans can agree on. And that's, I I didn't have that on my bingo card. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, man. Uh, The game here, a lot of field goals. If you do like uh, field goals, you Calgary fans sure do this year. (laughs) You might be a fan of uh, what happened in this one. Let's see the stats here. Uh, Mark Leggio, he kicks three. He goes three for three. Renee Paredes, five of six <laughs> in uh, field goals in this one. So he was all of Calgary's offense in this game. They did have opportunities, though. And uh, I think that's been sort of the name of the game for the Stampeders in 2023. Missed opportunities. And uh, right off the bat here, in the first quarter, Hamilton trying a fake punt, and it's third and four, and that was one of the most spectacularly stuffed fake punts I've ever seen. 
<laughs> yeah, it didn't exactly go as planned. That <laughs> no, it, it didn't work at all. Uh, Calgary gets some pretty decent field position at midfield. And Reggie Bagleton lays out there for a big catch. And we mentioned him already. Stavros Katsatonis right in the ribs. He hits Reggie. He's down on the field. He would be okay. It did look like he's playing through some pain, some sore ribs, whatever he was dealing with later in the game. But that's football, man. And yeah. that's another reason why I like a guy like Stavros Katsatonis. And some people will say, well, Curra doesn't care about player safety. I also do like to see big uh, bone rocking hits. I am guilty of that, and uh, I think that was a good play. They wear pads and helmets for a reason. It's still a it's a contact sport. You're gonna you can still be an advocate for player safety and still like big hits. It's it's okay. I um, am really sad that the catch didn't stand though. <laughs> Yeah, when you see that effort and it's, it's not rewarded, yeah, I can. I can well, they said that. it wasn't a catch, but they didn't show like the replay. I was like, "What? Yeah. Like, come on!" And then they showed the replay, and then I got it. I, I got it. But this game was chippy, and <laughs> there were a few misconducts handed out there. Simone, uh, he makes a tackle and he basically sits on the guy's head. <laughs> it looked like he was doing a little bonsai drop, Yokozuna style, just kind of sitting on the chest a bit. <laughs> yeah. Cam Judge, it looked like he was pushing him to run into that, the goalpost. 100% he was. He should have been kicked out of the game, in my opinion. That's There's no, no place for that. You... He was directing him, whether he was pushing him or not, he was directing him with his momentum to go right into that. And it looked like he upright. looked at the post and thought, oh, I'm yep. going to push this guy oh, into Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. And then later on in the game when he gets the the fumble or the interception or whatever and he's like, beat, like John, the crowd, like, you have four wins, buddy. You're going to miss the playoffs. Calm down. Like, Yeah, he was uh, – those Ticat fans, they get after opposing teams. He was giving it back, but yeah. – he didn't get the win on the scoreboard in this one. But the big turning point here and the Cam Judge play into the goalpost happened right after a 70-yard touchdown from Matthew Schiltz to Tim White. That one ended up tying the game because Mark Leggio missed the extra point. So Matt Schiltz is in at quarterback all of a sudden. Taylor Powell, he didn't have too much success. Uh, in this game, and he did slow down last week as well. So Taylor Powell, 2 of 6 for 14 yards. Matt Schiltz, he had 6 completions for 195 yards in the first half. They were crushing the stamps with the big play. They, they weren't able to keep up with that. And he yeah. fishes, finishes 11 of 19, 225 yards, 2 touchdowns and an interception, including the big 70-yarder. To Tim White, Orlando Steinauer was asked at halftime, what do you think about this gamesmanship stuff? He said, no, the plan was always to play Matthew Schiltz. Uh, but nobody knew uh, <laughs> about any of this. And <laughs> That's what a smart coach does. Like you don't, do you, you, do don't you think give that your head. fans should know who's going to be getting the bulk of the reps at quarterback? I... I'm conflicted with this. I know people say the CFL, they need to be transparent with stuff for betting and fantasy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm a fantasy player. I, I would like to have the information too. But I don't think coaches owe us anything, really. No. And Powell started off slow. So, And Hamilton is a team where they're fighting for their playoff lives. And they... They clinched a win, or they clinched playoffs with a win. So that's what they're going yeah, to do. And yeah. and if you have a guy in the bench who you've had success in the past, and he's chomping at the bit to get in there and show what he can do, I always am for sitting a quarterback if he's if he's not performing to let him see the see the game and try to you know get a mental break. But Schultz came in and he did he got the job done. Like there's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. Yeah. They wanted to win the game, and the, their quarterback wasn't hot, and so they tried somebody else. And 
And then shortly after that, there was the Cam Judge interception. He tips it to himself. He he he's proud of himself for that one. But Super then proud. there was <laughs> the big play to Keandre Smith, who has had a couple great games here for the Tie Cats. He finished with three catches for fifty six yards, but it was that forty five yard <laughs> gain that he had. When not only did it seem like Calgary wasn't ready, it didn't seem like 80% of the offense was ready for the play. It was really just the center, David Beard, Matthew Schultz, and Keandre Smith that were ready for the play. It was one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Yeah, I I, I wonder if it was called to be like that or if Schultz just noticed that the, the stamps were not ready and like he knew what was going to happen. Like, I don't know because the offense was at least set so that they didn't get a, a, a procedure penalty. So it probably was a called play like that, but yeah, no, as soon as the whistle blew, they snapped the ball and it, it went and it caught everybody by surprise. Cause the ball was like, it was snapped a, a split second. Oh yeah. After was, they whistled it in. Yeah. Like it was like, close. It had to be the center was told to, as soon as he hears Maybe. the whistle, snap it. And then the, the, then Schultz just has to be ready for it kind of thing. But yeah, Again, yeah. it's just another wrinkle, and and it's it's cool to see. I, I like coaches doing things like this. Like if you're if that defense isn't ready to go when that whistle when the play is whistled in, make them pay. Right after that, uh, the Tie Cats do get a field goal out of it, and then they force, and then that had the scoreboard: Calgary six, Hamilton nine. Nice. And then the Cats force a uh, two-and-out. Jamal Davis getting a sack in his Tie Cats debut, and I think that's worthy of mention. While they only had two sacks in this one, Casey Sales getting the other one, both of those guys lining up from tackle. Sean McEwen missing this game for the Stamps I think it ended up causing some issues in chemistry on the offensive line, and the Ticats D-line were able to get to Jake a little bit and uh, yeah. cause some problems in that backfield. Kadeem Carey only had 39 rushing yards. Diedrich Mills had 47 himself, but he did have a key fumble later in the game here that uh, would uh, obviously bury the Stampeders at the end yeah. of the game here. But uh, I felt that uh, that change on the O-line for the Stamps was big. Yeah, uh, just, it seemed like Hamilton was outmatching them and uh, Mayer wasn't having the time that he needs to have for his receivers like Bagleton uh, to get open, which they would have success earlier in the season there. Um, it, just, it just seemed like Hamilton wasn't ready to play. They Their offense was sputtering. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You just want to crap on Calgary, but you're trying to hold back, man. Uh, yeah, because I did it before, <laughs> and then I got in trouble, and then you made friends with Darren, I, and now yeah, yeah, I don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to hinder that uh, that friendship. Uh, exactly, and <laughs> and it's just like I'm. I had my big thing where last week you threw me under the bus with the whole "you're the me? worst team in the league." Oh yeah, on the <laughs> you didn't let me know that was going to happen, and then my mentions just blew up, which is fine. I like it, uh, but I don't know if the Riders are the worst team anymore because at least the Riders are scoring points, even if it isn't garbage time. Uh, the only stamp scoring points was their kicker. That's not good. Well. And the field goal he missed, look, he kicked five of six. I can't hold anything against him. Uh, yeah. But the Ticats, you talk about that end of the first half momentum. Terry Godwin scores a touchdown with a minute left in the half. Hamilton leads 16-6. Calgary gets in the field goal position, and they miss the field goal going into the room. That yeah, is, I was, that's tough. Yeah, I was. we were out for... Uh... It was, uh, Tam had a, a free nachos for your birthday from the Canadian nice. beer house. So we were going there. It was the last day she could use it. And so it was right before halftime. We were getting ready to leave. And I was like, oh, they're in field goal position. So I go out to the car. And when I get home, I see that the score is the same. And I was like, oh, wow, he actually missed. Okay. 
<laughs> but I just thought, you know, Paredes is usually money. So especially when it's, you know, at the end of the game or going into the half, he's he's usually pretty clutch in his time expiring kicks. So I was su- quite surprised that he missed it. And then in the third quarter, the Stamps trailing by seven. They're moving the ball. Jake Mayer has a gain to Luther Hakanavanu. Uh, first down with Diedrich Mills. Then he hits Trey Odom's Dukes for 11 yards. And then Diedrich Mills has a 28-yard gain before fumbling the ball. And then it is back into Hamilton hands. So when Calgary is having opportunities and they're turning the ball over, they're they're taking silly penalties, they're they're getting into the muck with the misconduct stuff. It's just not the uh, the Stampeders we're used to. I I'm honestly just not used to it, man. It still feels like when when are they going to come out of this and win four or five games in a row? Yeah. But they're just running out of time, man. It's it's very weird. It's not. It's it's very uncertain ter- or uncharted territory for a Ryder fan to see this happening to and Stamps the- fans. Yeah, and the one area where the Stamps have struggled, and they, they struggled in this one, was in uh, coverage on special teams. Uh, Tyreek McAllister, he, on punts, he had uh, an over 17-yard average here, including a 54-yard return. Like, he was able to have a lot of success on punts when you thought that Calgary was going to be able to pin him in deep. Tyreek McAllister brings him right out of trouble and it's able to help Hamilton with the field position. Even if they're not able to score, they're they're just able to tilt the field and make Calgary work with the long field instead. Stamps lose. Uh, Riders also lose. It's like nobody wants to get that last playoff spot in the West. Yeah, well... <laughs> It, it, at some points in this game, it seemed like nobody wanted to win this game either. So, <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, I I don't know what's happening. It's it's very bizarre. Uh, that game in two weeks could be the biggest game of the season for both of those teams because, like, it depends next week because uh, the Riders play Hamilton and who do the Stamps play next week? The Stamps actually have a bye. Oh, okay. So so the Stamps get to rest while the Riders play Hamilton. So, lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Fantasy-wise this week, CFL Podcast Fantasy League. Look at me. Uh Highest score in the league all year. Saf smashes me of the Piffles podcast. He beats me by like 65 points. I'm not even looking at his roster. I don't want to know. I had 102 points myself. I've been consistent. It's just not enough, man. And I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm rattled. I should have loaded up with more. Lions. Uh, the lion I did take was Lucky Whitehead. He did not have a big game. Against, he had a nice uh, game, though. He did have a nice, a nice game, game, 6.9 points. He, uh, that should give me the win in the quarterfinals, but uh, I, I don't think that's that's how it works. Uh, BC Lions with 7 points. Zach Kalaros was my captain, 26.4 points. That let me down. Uh, take one, Mizell. He had 10.3 points. They didn't give him the ball as much as I thought they would. Uh, Devontae Williams had 23. Dalton Schoen had 16. I really needed a score. He did have 100 yards. Oh. And Tyson Philpot, he got a score for me. He had 13 points in that one. But, yeah, 102.9 points. How was your week, man? I had my best week I've ever had. 147.5. That's... I've never had a week higher than that, and I was still like 300 and something this week, so that tells you how good I am at this. <laughs> uh, I had Calgary Stampeders defense, so they had four points. Uh, Vernon Adams was my captain, so that gave me 62.6, so that's yeah, a bulk of my, my stuff there. But I had Brady Oliveira, 26.1 points. Carey, I was hoping they were, Calgary was going to use him a little bit more, but he only had the 7.6 points. I did have Hatcher, as I said before, so 33 points there. 
a nice 6.9 points from Lucky Whitehead. And then, and then I had Bagleton because I thought that Mayer and him were going to be able to connect on a couple. That's what I get for thinking them that the stamps are going to help me out. I guess. Well, I think that uh, if he didn't get that big hit from Cats and Tonus, he probably has a bigger game, but I think he was oh, yeah. feeling it yeah. uh, a little bit on that one. That is week 17 in the CFL, and we are coming up on the Thanksgiving long weekend. The Argos, the Elks, the Bombers, the Lions, the Ticats, the Riders, and the Red Blacks, and the Alouettes on Thanksgiving Monday in Montreal. I I like that the Alouettes are going to be able to be hosting some Thanksgiving football again this week. Have yourself a good week. We'll talk to you on Thursday to get you ready for those games. For Sheldon Jones, I'm Travis Curra. Have yourself a great one. Thanks for listening to 2 and Out. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.